And that is Daniel from Helton John's Greatest Hits, one of my favorite artists. And coincidentally, we have a Daniel coming on the show. Danny Cronin from Fatball Guy Racing. Some of you have already written me saying, what happened? Well, let me just say this, that I think when you have a misunderstanding with someone and you work it out, you have a clean sheet of paper. It's a clean sheet. And Daniel and I ran into each other. Something happened during the summer. And we were able to work it out. And ran into each other coming out of, uh, coming out of uh, Keeneland one day. He was coming in. I was leaving after works. And, and it just worked out perfectly. You know, I, you don't ever want to have enemies and you don't want to ever shut the door on anybody. And um, Dan Cronin is is a good guy. And when people admit their mistakes from both sides, mine and his, you know, you, you, you come to an understanding. And that's when and I wanted to give him a forum and not only to talk, you know, not only to, you know, kind of just touch upon what happened a little bit, but also to talk about handicapping. And we talk about handicapping for the next hour. So without further ado, let's go to the phone lines. Keeneland Dan, Dan Cronin from Fatball Guy Racing. And Dan, it's been a long time coming. Great to talk to you. It has, Bruno, and I appreciate you reaching out and, and having me on. It's, uh, it's definitely been a long time coming for sure. Well, uh, you know, a lot of people, uh, or, or, you know, it's, you know, you, you, do you remember the old Ghostbuster movie when uh, Bill Murray had all the greatest lines and, and, and they had all the ghosts running around and, and somebody said, what the heck's going on around here? And he goes, dogs, cats living together, mass hysteria. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you did say, yeah, kind of our kind whole of, game. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, the one thing I had, um, another person on a couple of days ago and um, I kind of brought up a couple of things. And one of the things that I, that I wanted to really to get this done between you and I is that, you know, you can have disagreements with people. You can have, um, you know, arguments or whatever, but in the end, we're all here in the same, in the game and we all need each other uh, more than ever uh, in racing and any, and society at all. And overall, and it's great that, you know, that one day you and I ran into each other at Keeneland and um, we aired out our differences and look at us now. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? <laughs> three, three, three months of hell between us and, and then in, in one 20 minute conversation, we're hugging and everything's done. Yeah, we did hug, didn't exactly. we? We did hug. You know, nowadays we would have had masks on nowadays, <laughs> you know, the truth. gloves, you know, like. You know, given the elbow, you know, it's just like, you know, I'm going to have to change my whole life. You know, I can't hug people anymore. That is the truth. I was just thinking that. I was like, when we finally do get back and we walk into all these different gambling rooms, the green room or the, you know, the, the gold rooms and go down to golf stream, and we see each other and we see all these people. How, how are you not going to shake hands or hug somebody you ain't seen in six months? <laughs> you know, Joe is just sitting there. He came running in here. When you said that, and he's like, 
what do you mean? I can't hug you. <laughs> like he's looking at me like, what do you mean? He's been complaining, walking out to the balcony. <laughs> that's, that's so I, true though. It is. It's yeah. just, and if the virus hasn't taught us anything, it sure, it sure better teach you that life's short and holding grudges and being mad at people and, and Not you know, it. it just doesn't, it does. Yeah. It's, it's a waste of energy. It's a waste of time. And it just, you know, I, I, I thought back in maybe October, November, you know what, just start rooting for everybody, right? I mean, why would you ever root for anybody not to win? <laughs> right, right, exactly, because you know what? They can put more money into the window so you can take their money when you win. Exactly. I, yeah. I, you <laughs> that's know, the way to look at it. And that's all we're trying to do, right? I mean, yeah. I've been around seven, eight years. You've been around with 17 with, with the Bruno with the works and 30-something with, with – uh, you know, doing morning stuff and clocking and, you know, we wouldn't be around and be doing this if we didn't care and we didn't do stuff right. And, you know, so there's no sense in not being friends. It's crazy not to. We can help each other. Right. Well, Dan, first of all, let me ask you, how are you through this whole pandemic? How's your father? I know he went through a procedure uh, a few months ago. How's your family and how are you holding up? Yeah, everything, everything's good. I mean, I got lucky that the mortgage business kind of took off right when everything else started going down. Um, and then so the biggest part right now is just trying to keep my dad from going nuts. <laughs> you, know, he, you know, the older <laughs> the older they get, the more they want to, you know, they're setting their ways and he wants to go to the track and he, he wants to every Friday and Saturday he wants to see his buddies in that in that back room and and he can't and it's driving him crazy. And so you become the parent and he's become the kid. Yeah. I, I even got him an account set up. He's never bet online in his life. And it's, oh, it's, wow. oh, it's unbelievable. It, it's like every five minutes. Well, how do I put 50 bucks in? How do I put 30 bucks in? I want to put a hundred bucks. And I was like, well, Jesus, how many, how many deposits you going to make in one day? <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, let me, let me, let me say this. Your dad's a pistol too. Oh, you yeah. know, he's he is very, he's 78, very... but you never know it. Right. And, and, and Dan, um, by the way, don't tell anybody you're doing real good in the in the mortgage business. People will ask you for money. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, it's like, hey, can I borrow money? Can I, you know. But um, you know, anyway, kidding aside, but I'm glad you're doing well. And um up there in Cincinnati, down here in Kentucky, we've been we've been pretty lucky too. So um, you know, we just have to we just have to keep we doing the things we're doing. Uh let's talk about some handicapping. Uh what do you got going on? What are you doing right now? Uh, not right now, right now, but what are you doing? You know, you probably got a pick four going over at uh, Tampa Bay Downs. Yeah, I've actually, I got my single coming up here at Tampa. So I'm, I keep looking at the board, seeing, seeing what price he's going to be. But uh, yeah, I, I started doing Tampa uh, when Keeneland didn't open. I thought, well, I got Rich helping me with Gulfstream. I'll switch over to Tampa and then hopefully Churchill will get going soon. And then they delayed Churchill and then. I said, ah, heck with it. We'll just, we'll just keep it the way we're doing it. And hopefully all these tracks get going. Cause I'm like you, the more, the more tracks they run, the more fun we have. It's a lot more work, but it's more fun, more opportunities to, to find some handicapping angles we like and, you know, digging into, instead of betting these 62, five claimers that are impossible, <laughs> you know, we, we can find some straight maidens and, you know, find a stake horse or an allowance race that we can, kind of hang our hats on and find some singles because i mean you know that's the way i play i mean if i can't find singles i can't play i i just i have to find a single somewhere or i'm done well let me ask you tampa bay tampa bay downs is a 
is 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 kind of a track like no other. Yeah. Um, what's your experience been at Tampa Bay Downs? You got any angles on that track that you like to share? Well, you know, you're right. I mean, they have wild results down there, man, and it's hard to get used to. But the one thing I've tried to stick to is the top riders, Gallardo and Santana, Santano. You know, stick to those guys, Camacho. Try to find horses they're on for maybe Bennett that's, you know, got a horse on the outside or, or a turf horse that's dropping down a little bit. I, and then after that, once I find that horse, those other races, man, I'm trying to pick and choose any one-star horse I can find, you know, any dropper, like a, a maiden 50 one-start ran dead last running for maiden 16. You're going to get 20 to one on them, throw them under your ticket you know, stuff like that. And, and you can't, the one thing about Tampa, if you're betting multi-races, you cannot, you cannot win if you are afraid to take all somewhere. You, you just have to, because you can't get to some of these winners. You just can't. No, you can't find them. And, and that's one thing my dad taught me a long time ago is one times 10 is lower for your ticket than three times four. And if you go three times four, you don't give yourself a chance to get lucky. Can you explain that for everybody out there that may be novice to sure. understand what you mean? Sure. So one times 10, I'm assuming there's 10 in the other race. So that, that would be the all button. Well, so if you can be right with your single and be right at a high enough percentage to get to that all leg, then you don't have to be right in both legs. You can be completely wrong and still advance to the third leg because you hit the all button where if you're three by four, if you're a normal handicapper, which I think we both are, if you take four horses out of 10, you cannot get to that illogical winner. You just can't get to them. You're not going to take four horses and be 20 to one, 30 to one, 40 to one, and 40 to one. You're probably going to be six to five, two to one, five to one, maybe 10 to one. So that's what the more, that's what a Gulfstream morning line. Right. Exactly. So, so if, if some illogical horse, like when I did hit the, I got lucky and hit the, the big one at uh, Kentucky Downs uh, in the fall of 18, the horse paid 230 something dollars. Well, I didn't like the horse. I just singled a three to five shot in the other race and took all and I got, yeah. and I got lucky. But I always tell people, if you don't give yourself a chance to get lucky, it's kind of like trying to hit on that good looking girl at the bar. If you don't go up and say hi, and you don't give yourself a chance, you can't win. You have to give yourself chances. And to me, one times 10 gives you a chance. Three times four just gives you a chance to hit maybe a hundred dollar one or two fifty. You're not going to hit one for twenty thousand dollars going three by four because you're not good enough to pick that fifty to one shot. I'm not good enough to picking. So that's the well, way I like. Well, to Dan, Dan, let me just give a, a quick, um, a quick rundown to the fans out there for dating advice, and picking <laughs> and bars advice. Go to KeenlandDan.Only.com. There you go. <laughs> So anyway, um, you know, I agree with you. Uh, sometimes when I when I'm structuring tickets, I'm always looking for a, a leg that even if I don't single one horse, I might do a double single. Exactly. You know, uh, where I take two legs of it at two horses and then it allows me to spread in the other horses in the other races. And sometimes you end up using horses. You just go on. OK, uh, you know, if hell does freeze over, this horse might win. You know, and if it does, it pays a lot of money. So, yeah. So when we're talking about a horse like this DeVito horse, you can get 
you know, 10, 15 to one, cause he's going to float up. I mean, those are the perfect kind of horses. And here, I'm going to give you another one while we're on the phone. If you go to the seventh race, there's going to be a horse in there of Bill Mott's that's five to two morning line with John, Johnny V. He's a one start horse, but he's not the one start horse that I'm looking for. Yes. This horse is obvious. This is going to be most people single in the late pick five. And I can't fault anybody for doing that. But if you go down just a little bit more, you're going to see a Steve Asmussen that's got Santana, had one start, got dead left in the gate, was never a threat, but ran just nice and even. You know, 10th, 7th, 6th, 4th, you know, ran okay. Ate the one morning line, bred like crazy, owned by good owners, perfect post position, and you're going to get 8 or 10 to 1. So if you're not singling Mott, that horse has to be on your ticket. And if you bet the flip-flop single, that has to be that horse has to be on your ticket. And that's where I think you can get value. I love digging for one-star horses like this Asmussen horse. 55 number, aver- just average nothing. Nobody's going to go, oh, God, let's make this horse even money. You know, th- these are the types of horses that you can look for in pick fours and pick fives. And if you remember back in the fall, and I know that, only this is tough. Only horse racing guys can remember this kind of stuff is there was a big favorite of Rudolph Brissett, who I am so unlucky with. I know he's a good guy and a good trainer. Slam dunk. Slam dunk. Yeah, I am just I am so unlucky with him. He had a big favorite on the outside of Churchill in the September meeting. And there was a one start Ian Wilkes that was like 12 to one with Chris Landeros. And I'm staring at this horse going. 45 buyer, one start. Oh my God, he's ready. This horse could blow the board up. And I stuck him in the pick five. Did I love him? No. Did I bet straight on him? No. But I stuck him in a little pick five and I hit it and paid $25,000. And I, for 50 cents, and people are, how the hell did you hit that? That horse was three to five. Did you bet against him? I'm like, well, no, I just took one little ticket against him in case he got beat. And I put the one start Wilkes in because Wilkes does well with one start horses and they blow the board up sometimes. And I think you just have to give yourself chances like that where, and I think the one start horses in these maiden races, especially at Churchill, because these races are so deep and so good that you can get really, really nice horses at six, eight, 10 to one. You just got to be willing to add them to your ticket. And, and not worry about the fact that, okay, they ran eighth all the way around the track. Well, don't worry about that. It's a one-start horse. They improve. There's trainers like Wilkes and Lynch, your buddy Lynch. I mean, he's notorious for second time out. He's always way better second time out. So you, you yeah. just got to look yeah. for that and, and ignore the fact that the horse ran flat first time and realize that he might be pretty good. And that's where I like and looking that's at the three That's the problem. That's the problem with people. People sometimes – even though you tell them this horse is working really well and they usually don't come back, you really don't have a whole lot on them second time out because they just do maintenance because they're fit. And, and a lot of times people are expecting to see those works back and that's where they get caught. And I agree with you. I totally agree with you. And thank you for bringing up my workout report. I, I, we put a lot of pride in that. We're not going to be right all the time, but we, we try to do a really good job with well, that. And I, I think people forget that they're animals, right? And, and I liked what you said the other night on your podcast when you said, you know, there's 1,800 horses. It's hard. I, when I sat with you a few years back and I saw your notebook, 
I walked away and looked at my dad and said, how in the hell does he do this? I mean, forget, how do you even know what horse is what horse? Let alone knowing who's got good flesh, who's got bad flesh, who's, you know, it's like, my God, you know, this is not, it's not like they put numbers on them and say, and announce it over the loudspeaker that this is the two-year-old for Steve Asmussen that he really likes. Everybody pay attention now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Wouldn't that be great? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like half the time they're, they're trying to hide them from you. You know, the trainers are telling oh. you the wrong names and everything else because they're trying to win a bet and they don't want you to know about the horse. You know, it's like, this is not so damn easy. Well, you know, one thing, Dan, I never ask. I never ask. I don't ask the clockers who the horses are. You know, I don't ask the trainers. And I'll tell you, when you don't ask, they are more than happy to share the information. You know, they want to brag about their right. horse. What, what they don't want to, they don't want to have, and they know with me, I never do this. I never call them up and ask them if they like a horse. I never go in the paddock, you know, and ask them if they like them. Yes, I like you, Joe. My God, he's been all over me today. All over. <laughs> well, isn't me. it funny how anyway. many how many trainers like every horse? Well, you know, it's funny. It's like this. I have rules. If a trainer tells me, "Oh, I wish I had one more work." I'm doubling my bet. <laughs> if I have a trainer tell me how great a horse is and he's got three others in the barn that are better, I don't touch him. If a trainer tells me or knocks him, if a trainer knocks the horse, oh, he's short, I don't like him, not today, I bet I get down. I do the opposite. And then there's guys that, you know, that will tell you straight up and say, hey, I, I, I think I got a pretty good colt here. I think he's doing all right. You know, but then again, I use my judgment. My intuition. And he might tell me he likes his horse, but I don't think that horse is ready. And I'm, I'm going to live and die, but what I feel is my judgment on what I've seen to be able to get, to be able to, you know, I, I've never been a guy that's listening to anybody. You know that. You kind of know me pretty well. Oh, yeah. Well. Absolutely. You know, you know I, I'm not a guy that's going to take information and go, you know, but, and, and, but I will take information, do my own investigation, and come up with something that that I really like. There's some trainers that I've never even seen or heard of or looked at in my life. I wouldn't know what they look like. <laughs> and 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 I love their horses, you know. And it's and that's foreign to some people. They, you know, they they deal with more. You know, and and also another thing, when you get people telling you information, this is about paramutual betting. When somebody's telling you they got a tip, everybody in the world knows what that tip right. is. How you bet? That's not paramutual betting, right? You know? Yeah, Bruno, I, I agree with that. I mean, you got to look at the one. Whenever there's a pick five sequence, and you can stare at a one to five shot, and we get them a lot, two to five, three to five. I think you have to start your entire pick four, pick five sequence by staring at that horse as long as you can, research as much as you can. And make your decision. Either I'm going to single this horse, and that's fine, or you got to go against them, and you got to find a single somewhere else. Or the other thing, and you talked about this a little earlier, you can do the double single. And I've done that a lot, where I've singled a horse, say, in the first leg, and took three horses in the third leg, and then flipped it and took three horses in the first leg, and one horse in the third leg, and spread out in the other legs. And then I only need one of the two singles to win. Now, obviously, you need a little bit bigger budget to be able to do that. And that's when I start grabbing partners when we flip them around like that. 
Um, but I think that's a that's a strong way to play to where you can protect yourself. But I think it all starts. I mean, people don't want to admit that with all oh, this three to five. I, I hate betting on three to fives. I, I, I can't make a money betting three to fives. I'm like, that's just not true. You just got to be able to bet a pick four, pick five or pick six to where you can make some value out of it. And you got to know going in that, hey, if you're all in on him and I, Peru was a perfect example of Kentucky Downs. I was all in on Peru that day at three to five. Jose Ortiz, Mike Maker. I didn't think it was any way that horse could get beat. So I made all them pick fives around him, and I caught the fifty thousand dollars because of the two hundred dollar horse. But if Peru wasn't in that sequence, I'm not sure I would have bet like that. So you know, you can definitely, you know, one of my biggest hits of of my life was single and gold to Cova in the pick four in the Breeders' Cup at Churchill, and everybody at the table could not believe I had a $6 pick four. And all I did was I took Goldacova single. I took all in the dirt mile and I caught the code of phone. I didn't like the code of phone 50 to one on the rail. I didn't like that horse at all, but I just had yeah, Jerry Hollendorfer. Yeah. I just happened to hit the all button there. I got lucky, got up and beat morning line. Who was the favorite by a nose. So instead of three to one, I get 50 to one. And then I took every Euro. In the, in the turf race. I just said, ah, I don't care. If they're from Europe, they're on my ticket. Took every Euro. I think it was Dangerous Midge I caught. was like 11 or 12 to 1. And then I only took Zenyatta and Blame. I didn't take anybody else. I thought it was a two-horse race. I took those two. The ticket didn't cost that much. So I made a $6 one. And it paid 3500 for 50 cents. I mean, it's just the all button can be your friend three to five singles can be your friend. You just got to get lucky and give your, give yourself a chance to get lucky. And I, I said it the other day on Twitter. I don't know if you saw it. I got beaten to pick six at golf stream and I'm so mad at myself. I used eight out of 11 horses in the last leg and got beat. What am Who'd I Who'd you get beat by? Who'd you get beat by? That four horse came running. Oh, um, yeah, that's right. It's like 30 to one. I, I wanted to forget. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, if you know, Jim Goodman immediately sends me a message and says, you love the all button. How did you not have all? I'm like, well, it was times 11 instead of times eight. And yeah, I was already, don't spending. we, don't we sometimes sit there and look at after the fact and go, that would have been an extra $48. Yep. I did the I thing. Got- funny duck. <laughs> I, I'll go to my grave ready to kill myself over funny duck. Oh, when he swam to in the Pat Day Mile? I had 11 out of 14 horses, Bruno, and had the other three winners. What am I doing? Why didn't I just hit the all button? That was a crazy race. You can't blame yourself for that. Right, but that, those, you know? that's what I'm saying about, about the all button is you can't come up with funny ducks. There's funny ducks every weekend. No. You Is he won since? The, the, no, the, the, he hasn't won a race since. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, the know-it-alls, oh, he was bred for the slop. How did you not know that he was bred for the slop? I'm like, you got to be kidding me, right? Yeah, right, exactly, yeah. <laughs> you know, I would have looked at him going, that's ducked up. <laughs> you <know>? Right. It's, <laughs> it's like, but I, I'm just mad at myself because I spent all this money on pick fours and pick fives, and I used 11 out of 14 horses. And, and I understand, we all do it because it's budget. You know, you're trying to do your tickets, and, and you're like, oh, well, I'll just throw out these couple – 50 to ones that can't win. But the problem is when you throw those out, you're throwing out your chance to hit for $80,000. Yeah. My dad always says, if you're going 11 out of 14, throw out the three favorites. 
And yeah, I'm like, exactly. You exactly. know, and I'm like, oh, I don't know if I could do that. You know, it's like, I know that is scary. You know, that is scary. You want me to throw yeah. out the favorite shit? I don't know if I could. Hey, do that. just just to change gears, because you brought up um, uh, you brought up your brother, and um, I know your um, your uh, your brother's the head coach now of UCLA, Mick Cronin. Yes, and he was at Cincinnati. How's that transition been? And and have you had a chance to go out and and before all this pandemic stuff started? Uh, go to UCLA and how's that experience? You know, at first, Bruno, it was really tough. I mean, emotional. It was a wreck. I mean, my day was a wreck. I was a wreck. My sister was a wreck. It was, it was not good because I think we just all could not believe it happened. You know, even though it was a great opportunity for him, you know, you're losing your brother. So that was, well, you're losing your brother to the West Coast, right? Exactly. To the, yeah, you know, to the good coast. A four, yeah, four, for yeah, four hour flight instead of you know fifteen minute drive, and it's like, oh my god, this is this is a disaster. Yeah. But once I went out and visited and seen how happy he was, and and I knew my niece had adjusted. You know, that was tough on her to adjust, but you know, she's thirteen, she's going to a new school. All of a sudden, she goes from being Coach Cronin's daughter at, at this little tiny school and. Cincinnati, you know, where she's she's everything there, right? Now she's at a school where, you know, four movie stars kids are sitting right next to her. <laughs> you know? Oh, I feel so sorry for her right, right now. She's she's calling me going, Well, nobody even cares who I am here. And I was like, Yeah, I don't think yeah, they're gonna they, care oh, out they there. <laughs> they're gonna they will once they realize the coach, you know, basketball. Uh by the way, it's so you know it's just got to be really hard going from Cincinnati to Santa Monica, you know. Well, it was funny. I lived there. I lived in Venice Beach. I know what. It, I feel really bad for you. Well, he kept he kept calling me before I had went out, and he kept sending me pictures. And he was like, uh, "How cold is it there? It's it's eighty five here in the middle of yeah. December." I'm like, "You sucker!" You yeah. know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, it, uh, did you go? What did you? Is that the first time you've really been out there or visited before? Well, or? I had been to Del Mar once for the Breeders' Cup. Uh, but I had never been to to L.A. other than, a you know, a quick weekend, you know, a couple of years back. So it was my first time to actually go sit there for a week or two, see the city, drive around, you know, see all the stuff. And, man, is UCLA gorgeous. I mean, it is. Yeah. That campus is just unbelievable. And then you just get goosebumps when you walk in and see all the banners and, you know, the way people you, know, you get to stand next to the statue of John Wooden. It's. It's just crazy, and then, you know, we see Biscuit and John Wood. Right. I mean, who wants who wants to do you know? Right. But but the, how was his team started doing really well right before it all got shut down? Yeah, I, I mean, it's his just, team was I don't really know what happened. Forward. They went from being absolutely. I saw them play in Vegas, and I had breakfast with him, and I said, "Mick, your team stinks." <laughs> it's like, my <laughs> God, you guys are terrible. And he was just like, I know we're so young. We don't have no, you know, they had no roles established yet. And then I flew back out in the middle of January and saw him towards the end of January for two games. And it was like, it was a different team. All these kids had all of a sudden grown up. They, they were used to what he was teaching. They knew the offense. They knew what they were expected. And it was like, wow. And I was like, Mick, these guys are starting to get better. You, you got a chance to be pretty good now. And then by the mm-hmm. end of the year, it was like, wow, they had a player develop into an NBA player. They got a couple guys that could be all conference players, and they're all young. They're all 18, 19, 20 years old. 
So, how did the uh, not having the March Madness affect you? Well, it it, it affected me just because I thought, wow, he's going to actually pull this off and make the tournament, and man all of LA is going to be going crazy thinking how in the world did they pull this off? And then all of a sudden it's canceled and it's like, Oh man. But you know, at first I thought, you know, this is just horrible. Why are they doing this? But then as we got that information it was like, well, they really didn't have any choice, did they? So, you know, it, it stunk, but I think it, at least it left a good taste in everybody's mouth that, He's got a good team coming back. They're all back. So, you know, now the expectations are high. And, you know, I, I think it's – it'll t- hopefully it'll turn out to be a good thing. I mean, all the kids seem to have taken it well. and So, I, I think, you know, they're going to be a team that should be in the top 25 and, and, and should have a heck of a year. Will we see you behind the bench like we saw you at Cincinnati? Well, what's funny is his tickets are in the eighth row instead of behind the bench. So, so <laughs> oh. the first few times I sat there, I'm like looking around like, what the hell's going on? I'm not used to this. This sucks. The ref can't hear me yelling. He can't hear me yelling. This ain't fun. <laughs> so it took me a little uh, while to get used to that. That's funny. That's funny. But I, I grew up in that area. I mean, I didn't grow up. I lived in, the, in, um, in Venice Beach, which is in Marina del Rey, which is really close to Santa Monica right there, right by the pier. And um, UCLA and USC basketball and sports were really huge. People turned out all the time. Uh, I think I think your brother's going to do really well. He's a heck of a coach, and uh, it looks like kids love to play for him. And I'm looking forward. I might have to become a, a UCLA fan. I was always a USC guy. I might turn to a UCLA. There fan. you go. We'll get you over there with Jeff Siegel. <laughs> Oh, I know Jeff. My first Roy, game, Jeff he was I, sitting there, and I'm like looking at my dad, going, "Look, that's Jeff Siegel right there." He's like, "All the movie stars in here, and you're pointing to Jeff Siegel." I was like, "Hey, I'm a horse <laughs> racing guy." <laughs> the stories, I mean, with Jeff Siegel, he used to be in the press box when I started, and I got to know Jeff pretty well. You know, sitting up there with the rest of the guys in the press box, and and uh, Ashway, he'd come walking down the press box row because the press box at Santa Anita is two two levels. You're sitting up above looking down at, you know, and he would walk down and you're expecting him to talk about some horse trip or something. And he's going on and on about the UCLA basketball team, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and so it was kind of funny that way, you know, and you had USC guys uh, when Alec Malamud was alive. He'd come in all the time, you know, and he, he was a sports writer at uh, I want to say the, L- the, the L.A. Times. Um, um, so it, it's just. You know, California to me is, is, is home, you know, kind of home for me. I grew up there. I lived there for 30 years. And, and just going, you know, hearing your stories, it kind of gives me a little bit of melancholy or missing the state. <laughs> but, uh, you know, especially, you know, the weather. Because I hear, yeah, I don't know about you, but right now we got rain and 45 degrees and it's May. Exactly. That's the way know? we are up here. I'm like, my God, is it ever going to, I mean, it's 50 degrees here. It's like 40, 50, raining every day. I was like, you know, they'll talk about the lockdown. I said, hell, we can't go anywhere anyway. We'll stop raining. <laughs> Wait a minute. Joe, you like this weather, don't you? You like this weather. You like the weather? Yeah, he does. He's sitting here looking at me with his eyes. What's really, what do you think about the weather? <laughs> I love it. <laughs> he just loves to talk to me. He's like letting me know, hey, I'm a part of this too. You know, the other day I was doing a podcast and I had to stop a couple of times because he was in my lap and he's 60 pounds. You know, he's seven months old and 60 pounds. But uh, um, 
before we go, uh, Dan, tell us a little bit about what you do um, and um, and tell us and if you've got one more angle that you can throw out for handicapping or even just how to structure tickets. Feel free to you. You've got you've got the you've got the court. Well, thanks for that. Um, yeah, fatballguyracing.com. And and what we do is we provide a sheet. It's an ABC chart. And and as we talked about before, it started out as just give a couple horses out to guys because guys wanted to bet. Okay. Well, then that didn't work because everybody wanted picks every race. Well, then people would complain. Well, you know, yeah, you hit two or three of them, but I don't know which horses you want to bet the the most and the least. So then we came up with the star plays and said, okay, these are the two or three to bet today. These are the two or three to single today. You know, so we started doing ABC charts for guys that want to bet tries or exactas or go deep in a pick three or pick four to have the order of the horse that, you know, if you want to go five deep, this is the way we would do it. If you're going six, go to the next horse. You know, it's your budget. We, we're a big believer like you are of it's your money. It's your ticket. We can only lead you to the water and say, this is who I would single. These are the races that say spread here that I would spread out in, but it's your budget. I don't want to stretch your budget. If your budget's a hundred bucks, this is how I would bet the ticket. So when we put tickets on the sheet, we always stay in the budget that we told them for the day. And if you're a bigger player, you got the chart, you can add horses by the chart, you know, or if you want to add your own horses, Add your own horses. And then we're big on information. I, I'm always, always, as you know, trying to text and call and, hey, you know anything about this baby, that baby. But my biggest handicap and angle, and I absolutely love this, is, and that's where your workout reports come in, is one start horses. I mean, I, I think that's one of the few areas in horse racing now where you can get horses that can blow the board up. That one start horse that showed nothing but he's working pretty well he might have had something wrong maybe equipment changed maybe just needed the experience and steve asmussen is gigantic on one-star horses i love one-star horses i've had some of the biggest scores of my life on horses like vertical oak you know one start ran fifth or sixth didn't show anything comes back he's four to one at saratoga and wins by five you know, those that are kind of, hey, you know, do you have uh, the PPs for uh, for uh, Saturday in front of you? For I Churchill? do not. I'll give you I'll give you a great example of a horse and I'm not sure what to do with him, but it's in the first race on the opening race of uh, the Churchill down me. And it's the number one horse. You go. He's had two starts, not one, but two starts uh, where he ran at, o- at Oakland. And and this is what you're talking about. First time out, he was 11 to one against straight mains, and he was in the one hole and didn't run a step. I went back and looked at his works before he debuted, and he had a 59.3 out of the gate. Now at Oakland, the 59.3 is a pretty fast work, and it was a bullet work. He had had a 101 and four before that on February 23rd. He had had a number of works, which is Jimmy DeVito and what he does. Um, with um, uh, with his horses. He's taken the blinkers off on the horse. And last time he routed on the slop, and I put a line through that. But uh, that's the kind of horse that's going to be 30 to 1 with Martin Garcia. And he's the kind of horse that he could pop up. And when you know me, I'm huge on information, probably even too much. <laughs> 
but well, well, let me ask you this: like, you know, at Tampa, you're using one. You, you look at things. You know, Gulfstream is also the other Florida track that's not. It's very hard to handicap at times. And the reason being, from my point of view, is that your horses got come, horses coming from anywhere, five, yeah. six different areas. You know, you got to have like an army of clockers if you really want to do it that way, or you concentrate on what you do best at one area. So at Gulfstream Park, what have you done this summer or this, I mean, excuse me, this summer, this, this winter and, and so early in the spring about going and, 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 and playing that track as difficult it is? Yeah, I, was, I tried to stick strictly to pick fives, and I kept thinking, okay, all I got to do is hit a couple of these, and you can survive, right? Because if you can hit one for four or five grand, it tides you over for a couple months. Even if you, even if you keep blowing your $100, $150, $200 tickets, it takes a while to, to lose your money back. So what I was doing is I was looking. I really liked Mike Maker on the grass because for, they don't bet him down there like they do in Kentucky. And when he was getting one of the Ortiz brothers to ride, you could get some really live horses that weren't favored. And it's in, I, I had pretty good success with just trying to key off of those maker horses and those maiden races, those kitten joys. Cause ma- the one thing about Mike maker on the turf, he, he puts horses where they can win. You know, a lot of trainers will put them in over their heads, but part of the reason he has a good solid, you know, number percentage wins is because he puts them where they can win. You know, if he well, looks- how, about, how about when he uses two in a race and he's got Irad on one, yeah. and he's got Gaffleone on the other. Yeah, then, he, then it makes it a little harder, huh? <laughs> then it's you, like, you have to, yeah, who's who, who, who's winning this one? Right. You know, you know, and, and I know we all get mad at riders, but I'm a I'm probably one of the bigger guys in the country on riders. I. I mean, I love when I'm single or when I'm going big on a horse, I want Jose Ortiz. I want Irad Ortiz. I want Rosario. I want Castellano. If, if Lay Peru's on that horse, there's no way I'm single on that horse. <laughs> you know what? But you know what? My buddy Laz, my, my guy Laz that works out of California, he calls him kryptonite. Right. I, I call him the <laughs> Kentucky Strangler. I just, I cannot, I mean, and you know, there's guys you're lucky with and there's guys you're not. I'm really lucky with Santana when he rides on big days and those sprints for Asmussen, you know, horses like Matoli, when everybody tried to beat him, I didn't try to beat that horse. You know, I, I no way I'm trying to beat that horse on a big day, but you know, you just got to try to zero in and I'm a big post position guy too. I, I consider myself a class handicapper first. And then post rider connections is second. And then I'll start looking at the numbers. But if I can get, say, a horse ridden by Jose Ortiz, trained by a good trainer in the seven, eight, nine hole, sprinting going six, seven furlongs, man, I am staring at that horse hard because they don't always make them favored. You know, sometimes there's other horses that are favored and you can get two and a half, three, especially at Saratoga. I mean, Jose Ortiz is constantly riding winners you know, that pay $8, $10, $12. And, you know, you got a big, big shot with that kid. And, and he, the one thing about him is he's always going to try. He's going to ride his butt off. And, you know, I, uh, well, so much for my single. I know. I, I, <laughs> I, I, I don't, I, I don't, I don't want to brag. We had the three in there too. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I used three horses. I used the three, five and 11. And I see this 10 coming out like a shot. I'm like, Oh no. <laughs> Wire. Exactly. Wire. 
<laughs> yeah, where the hell is this wire in Tampa? Oh my God! You know, out in the ocean, you know. But um, so um, let's. So let me ask you. Uh, can I can I ask you what your thoughts are on certain jocks? Yeah. Can you give me an yeah. off the cuff answer? Tyler Gaffleon. I think he's a solid rider. He to me he would be like in the NBA or ba- or Major League Baseball a good solid player. Would he be an All Star? No. Uh, let's see. We talked about Irad and um, Jose. How about Luis Saez? I think he's really, really, really good. I, I think he is in the upper echelon. If you if you list at the top six or seven riders in the country, I think he's in it. Can I tell you who I compare him to? Patrick Valenzuela in his heyday. That's a good comparison, Bruno, because he is so good on speed. When he gets to the front, I mean, he – He's ruthless too. When he gets to the front, he's not going to just let you go by. You know, he is. I, I really like him. I, I think Pletcher riding him more is only going to help Pletcher. What about a couple of bug boys? Mario Fuentes and um, who's the other kid? Um, Christian Torres. Now, Torres, I've seen more than Fuentes. I, I think they both got good futures, though. I, I mean, they both sit well. They both seem to to be able to control the horses well. They don't get them in a bunch of trouble. Um, and that's what I always look for for young riders is can they just get smooth trips or are they constantly stopping and starting and getting horses in trouble? And I don't see that with either one of them. I, I think they both ride pretty well for the levels they're riding at. Now, if they came to Saratoga, they'd probably have problems. I mean, heck, Lannery goes one for 100 at, at Saratoga. So, you know, as long as they're at their level, you know, I think we all got levels. And, and I think too many times people get offended by that. But I just think it's true in life. Everybody's got a level. Horses got levels. People got levels. There's people that can play in the major leagues. There's people that are pretty good on the playground. You know, it's just. And, and these riders are the same way when they stay at their level, like Tyler Gaffleon and Paco Lopez are perfect examples. Paco is very, very good at Monmouth Park. Yeah, pa- Paco, when he's riding at the level that he belongs at Monmouth Park, which is a solid level, he's a very, very good rider. But there's a reason that he don't ride at Saratoga. Because he's not in that echelon of riders. And when he goes over there, yeah, he can win a race. But if he rode rode there every day, he'd be the 15th best rider in the jock room. And there's nothing wrong with that. He's really good at at his level. And Tyler, when he stays at Gulfstream in the summers, he does great. Corey Lannery, same way. When he gets to Kentucky, he's one of the best two or three riders at at the track. Because the Saratoga can't get him out. It's just we all got levels. And I, I don't think people should be afraid to say that. And that's, that's one thing on my sheet that, you know, sometimes people get mad at me, but I will say this rider stinks. This rider's really good. I love this rider. I mean, it's just the way it is. And I'm trying and, to. And, and they know. go through streaks just like handicappers. Absolutely. And there's certain riders that no matter what they do, they never get a hold of a track and they never understand it. But they have their home track. Like Lannery at Churchill, he rides that wood like Calvin Burrell and Miguel Mena. And he wins his races. Maybe you can't do that at, 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 at Saratoga all the time. Because I, those guys those guys will cut you off and put you through the rail. I agree with you. I, I said if Corey Lannery was on War of Will, he would have won the Derby. Yeah, he brought, yeah. Because he wouldn't have come off the rail. He'd have stayed no. there. 
And that's a great point. That's a great point. I was going to say that, you know, because you see these Florida guys, Paco, Tyler, uh, even um, Leonel Reyes. I've watched them just, they just come off the inside without even looking. Yep. And, and it's just something because of Florida that they do that. And I'm just like sometimes wondering, what the heck? Why are they, you know, why do they come off like that so easily without even looking? And, and I've watched, going into that world, uh, world will at Derby, I watched um, Tyler a, 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 a three weeks before at Keeneland. He was on a filly named Choke Bridge for um, Brendan Walsh. And turning for home, they loved their first time out. Turning for home, he comes off that rail and he almost got dropped. Right? And he did the same thing in the Derby on War of Will. He yep. had no business coming off, right? Well, if he stays on the rail, he probably wins, and none of that ever happens. He's the one. And you could see him for 100 yards straight. He kept looking over his right shoulder trying to get out, trying to get out. And I was yeah. like, what is he doing? Well, just stay there. It's Churchill. He'll come right. out. I mean, right. there's a reason Burrell and Lannery made millions of dollars just sitting on the rail. I mean, that rail at Churchill is absolutely golden, and it's like that every day. And that's, you know, that's another thing when you're, when you're putting together your sheets and stuff. you gotta, you got to know that. You know, because the normal guy don't know that. You know, you got to know that that's where you want to be. You know, if Landry draws the one hole going a mile and 16th on a horse with stalking ab- ability, you know what you're going to get. Now, you may not like it, but you know what's coming. He's going to sit third or fourth on that rail. He's not going to move. And then when they open for a split second turner for home, he's going to shoot through it. And if it don't open, you're going to be screaming and throwing stuff. But at least you know what's coming. Right, right. And, and, you know, if you've got a track that plays to the outside, that that profile is a 4-5 wide, you don't play Lannery from the inside. It's funny you, you said that. You tur- Turfway on the big day over on Ruby Day, you know, I was on the air and they said, well, Corey Lannery's coming in. I said, I'd be careful taking him here because he's going to come up the rail and you want to be seven wide. <laughs> right, it's right. what you- it is. And, and Turfway is one of those tracks you have to be on the outside and wide. Yeah. You have to be out of the kickback. If, you, if exactly. you're not on the lead and you're in the kickback, you're in trouble. Yep, that kickback is vicious. Yeah, and it's really interesting what's going to happen. Um, we brought up, let's see, we talked about Gulfstream and the jocks. Give me a synopsis of what you think is going to happen at Churchill on Saturday night, on Saturday afternoon. Well, you know, I... I'd love, I love the fact that they're running number one. Um, I would be very nervous singling Monomoy girl as much as I love her. And she's going to be one to nine. I just know, and you know how many troubles they've had with her over the last 18 months. And do you really want to take her at one to nine as a single in your pick five? Well, uh, let, let me at least fill in people out there. So they have some info. Uh, she's been training here at Keeneland, and she's been working with Owendale the last couple of times, and she's gone fast. Now, he's had to do that to get her ready. At Keeneland, you can't lollygag around the track and expect to get fit. You just can't. You know, you've got to be able to put in your three. I, I would probably take Keeneland is this closest track to Santa Anita about having to have to have your, let your horses run. You can't just – I mean, cheap claimers are different, and that's another conversation – for another time on, on what kind of horse does well uh, when you train them. Um, but with her, I think they've had to set her down to be able to do what she's done. 
Is she a hundred percent fit? No, they're putting her in the spot because they, you know, you know, it's that old Charlie Winningham thing that I learned a long time ago, that if a trainer takes a horse off a layoff, that's a graded stakes performer and it's running it in a, in a, in a, an allowance race that they wrote for him. He thinks that horse is going to need the race exactly. because if she was going to be ready, she would have been on the stakes the next following weekend. Right. So that's just my thought. Well, and but, that's and that's the dilemma of the horse player now because we, we're staring at a one to nine shot in the middle of the pick five. So what do, what do you do? I mean, now my brother's philosophy, and and when I have the right budget to do it, I agree with him. I don't always have that gigantic budget that he has, but he thinks that if you hate a one to nine shot in a pick five, you should hit the all button because you don't want to blow when the thirty to one upsets this horse. And you couldn't have got to the 30 to one on your own. Just hit the all button. I'm like, yeah, but that's a lot of money to bet against a one to nine shot. You know, jeez. So that's that's the dilemma in the early pick five. And, you know, I know most people will just go ahead and single her. And I probably end up probably reluctantly do it. Um, but, man, I, I'm nervous about singling her. And then can I give you the flip side? Can I give yep. you can I be yep. the, the um, and, and I agree with you. <laughs> I just had a bone thrown at me by the dog. <laughs> hey, get off the phone, daggone it. We want to play. Yo, he'll do this while I'm on the phone. He's hilarious with that. I just threw it down the stairs and he's looking at me like, I hate you. You know? But uh, um, yeah, he's decided that he wants to be, he wants to be on the show today. Uh, but th- the one thing, I- I'll-, I'll say this. I totally agree with you. And, and it all depends on the kind of horses that, that are that are that low price. I'll give you two examples. There was one when uh, Songbird first came out to New York at Saratoga. It was a early part of the meet. She ran in the coaching club. And I didn't think she could lose. She was training fantastic. Now she's going to be one to five. So I'm looking at the pick four, and I do have two legs that I think are wide open on the turf going long. And you know those turf races at Saratoga. They're tougher than nails. There's no Chad Browns. There was no Chad Browns in either one that I, you know, that was going to maybe, you know, make it short. I ended up hitting two bombs. There was a McLaughlin stretching out that won one of them. And the other one was Derby Champagne won the last at $32. And I had just a $10 horse in the first leg. And that, I, I think I, I, I think that pick four, that the pick four ended up paying 11 grand. Whew. So, and that's with Songbird. So, and then there was another one with Zenyatta and the Santa Margarita way back, I think I want to say 2009. And she was, it was in March. It was at Santa Anita. I got lucky. I hit a $13 to kick it off. It was a $27 horse and a $40 horse in the last with Zenyatta single. And for a dollar, it paid 1300 So there is certain scenarios that I think we can come up and say, hey, you know what? Let's make it into a pick four, you know, um, but but then there's races like you and I will agree. You'll go in there and you'll go, you know what? I don't like this horse at one to five. No help. No way. No way. And maybe those are the ones we take the all button, you know, and Jaywalk was one of those a couple of years ago. Remember Jaywalk went off, I think, what, one to five for John Service and the and uh, in, in, in the grade uh, two. I think it was the Ford Gal last year. And you couldn't find her. Dan, you remember that? I mean, she w- I, we hated her, and, and she, she went off at one to five and was nowhere. 
Yeah, I do remember that. She was a really bad favorite, and and that's part of the challenge of the game, right? I mean, you, there are favorites that you got to key off of, and then there's favorites you got to throw out, and that's, I mean, that's the battle, especially a lot of these big tracks like Keeneland and Churchill and Saratoga. I mean, you get faced with some really big favorites, and you know that's that's the struggle. It is: do you single them or do you toss them? And that's that's just kind of where we're. That's the that's the challenge. What's your go-to track? You know, I like the Kentucky tracks the best, honestly. I mean, my numbers suggest it, too. My betting account suggested that, uh, you know, Churchill, Keeneland, Kentucky Downs are, are the ones that, that I bet the most money at. Um, I, I do bet Turfway, but not as much, mainly because of the night racing. I'm, I'm not a fan of night racing at all. I, I just maybe I'm just an old timer that, you know, wants to bet on Saturday afternoons and Friday afternoons and Sunday afternoons. And I want to be able to go spend time with my family. So that night racing, I don't get into as much. Um, but yeah, Churchill meet and Keeneland meet to me, you know, when you study it and when you pay attention to it year after year after year, you, you can really get, you know, some solid plays, not only straight bets, but pick fours and pick fives. And that's the one thing about the Churchill people, as much as they get knocked, you know, the Churchill takes a lot of heat from people around the country, but, they have really been in on what betters want and, and the, the pick fives, you know, multiple pick fives, not just one, but heck on Derby day and Oaks day. Now they have three each day. And, and I think that's huge knowing what the people want. I mean, the pick five lower takeout, you know, people want it. And, and, you know, I think they've been great at, at putting that in to where, you know, a smaller player can still bet a 50, 80, hundred dollar ticket or going with their buddies and, and have a shot at a big hit. So that's what I like playing. Well, I'll tell you one thing, Dan. You know what people want? People want podcasts like the one we just did. We talked about handicapping. We had fun with it. This is what people want. People want to hear ideas, and that makes it wonderful. And it's really been fun spending some time with you. If you hear noise in the background, that's Joe. He's snoring on the floor right now. Just <laughs> you, snoring. You wore him out. I love it. Oh, I, I don't know about that. I was throwing stuff down the stairs for him to chase. It was hilarious. If people saw a video of me doing this podcast with you today, they would have said, my God, that deserves an Emmy. Um, I love it. I love it, Bruno. And, and one of these days, we've got to get Keeneland to do what we've been talking about. Me and you talked about this years ago. They need to put a camera in the green room. And just let it run. Oh, God. <laughs> you tell me when that happens. I'm not showing up. <laughs> can, you, can you imagine uh, the, the characters in that room uh, going back and uh, forth and yelling and screaming and who had what? And <laughs> well, before we ran out of time, real quick, tell us where to find you. Give us your Twitter. Give us your site. And uh, we uh, wish you and your family uh, social distancing uh, heaven and enjoying your space to gamble on the horses. Thanks, Bruno. It's fatballguyracing.com. Keeneland Dan at fatballguyracing on Twitter. And I'm like you. I'll talk to anybody. Just keep it civil. Let's, let's be constructive. Let's be friendly and have a good time and root for each other. I loved it. God bless you. Talk to you soon. All right, Bruno. Thank you. We all need each other in this game, folks. We all need everybody to do well. As Dan said during the show, we have to pull for everyone to win. Now, you want to win when you're playing, but don't root against anybody. It's not fun, and it's not right, 
and you'll end up just giving yourself ashido. That's, you know, that's like heartburn in Italian. But I, I think overall, as much as sometimes that you want to lash out or get mad at somebody, you know, work it out. You can't hug it out these days. Uh, you can't, you can pump fist, you know, we can do that. But some of these, I had a really good time talking to Dan. We had fun. And Dan has always been a guy that I've had fun with. We just got sideways. And we all have that with certain people in our lives. And sometimes we just need to write that shit. And we need to make it, we need to flatten the curve. So I hope all of you are social distancing. I hope all of you are doing well, safe and healthy. I hope you're enjoying these. Um, we're only going to be so nice for so long. <laughs> I think for what we've all been through. So I just hope everybody has a great time uh, listening to the podcast and um, hope to hear from you soon.